Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello and welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 2, season 19. And while I sit back and bask in the glory of being at least at the lead of the Absolute Rally um, uh, quiz. It's not really the quiz, is it, right? It's the... It's the, the no, it's... you can't even get the words right, can you? You're on about the fantasy WRC, aren't you? Yeah, but I, I don't want to start in which. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to brag, but... I'm in well in front of all of you. Uh, you know, hello, Tony. How are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, Brian Champion, yeah, how are you? You're all right. You're all right, just because you're up front. Well, you might as well take advantage of it because it won't last long. Yeah, I've, I've heard all this before. I've heard all this stuff. I've done you already in your head. That's is that is. right? Yeah, you're done. You're done. I'll tell you who is done. Right, Jack Benny is not even with us this week. <laughs> He's, he, he, he's, he's disappeared. We've had to replace him. We've got, we've basically got, as what's happened ironically today is the news has come out as we record this with High and I doing a bit of a driver switcheroo. Uh, we've done a presenter switcheroo and we've got John Armstrong this week. Hello, John. Hello, Tony. How are you? We're, we're all good. We're all good. Thank you for joining us this week as, as a substitute guest presenter at the top of the podcast. No, no problem. I feel very privileged um, to, to replace to replace Jack or indeed Trevor. So no, well, tre- I'm, I'm Trev is coming up a little bit later on in the pod, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got Trev. Uh, the injunction's lifted uh, about halfway through the podcast, <laughs> so he'll it, it, be with us later Good on. Stuff. So, so you technically you're morphed into a cross between Jack Bengen and, and yeah. Trevor Agnew. So, yeah, so we have, hybrid. yeah, we have talked about it off air. Now you are going to have to remove your socks and just pull your trousers up slightly, just so you can get into character. Because you can keep speaking with the accent, pull your trousers up, take your socks off, then you've morphed into the two of them. All right, yeah, I'll get to it there. Well done, <laughs> right, John. We we expect nothing but absolute honesty. Who did you think was going to win Monty? Because I'm going to do our predictions in a second. Who did you? If you would have had your cheeky fiver last week, who would you put it on? <laughs> Um, so I was saying last week, um, before the rally got underway, that it would be OJ and the Toyota, just from watching like the videos of him testing and his, um, his record there. It was six wins on the trot, I think. Um, so it was difficult to bet, bet against him in, in arguably the, the quickest car and the most um, successful driver in that rally in this era. Well, you followed... Uh, basically, Ryan, Jack, and Trevor, who all said Ogier, and I was the odd one out. I, I always go a bit left field. I went Loeb. Yeah. So um, that, that's yeah, where that, it You're really good at fantasy WRC, aren't you? Well, that I didn't did, work out so well. That didn't work <laughs> out so well. But but right, tables tell the story. Actually, We're, we haven't we haven't actually checked the Kielder League yet because we do have a second one, so we which has very different structure to it. So we must check that one as well before you get too carried away. I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you that one next week, listeners. We'll bring you that one next week. I'm sure Steve will will get back to us from Kielder and put me straight. But while, while I'm basking in the glory of the one that's on Twitter at the moment, so I'm going to really really enjoy it. So there you go. Um, uh, John is with us not only to be the replacement Jack Benyus slash Trevor Agnew. We're also going to talk to him about his entry back. Back into the world of the Junior World Rally Championship uh, a little bit later on, but we did want to talk Monte Carlo. Um, when you sat back, John, and obviously you're now preparing to come back to the to the Junior World Rally Championship, and of course the World Rally Championship as a whole, mm-hmm. did you look at Monte in a slightly different way? Did you are you watching rallies again now in a different way? Um, I think I always sort of watch them from a driver's point of view and try and pick out some something that I can learn um but yeah it was it was quite an interesting rally to follow the the conditions were very tricky um 
So it was interesting just to see what different strategies drivers used. And um, yeah, I mean, it's always a, a great rally to follow anyway. But um, yeah, it was some interesting battles. I thought uh, it was really good seeing Alvin um, in his in his new um, car putting on such a good performance straight out of the box. Um, but I think ultimately um, Thierry Nouvelle just. It's his fourth year going to that rally in the same car. He just maybe had a little bit more confidence than, than OG and Evans to push on that last bit. Um, as I, I was chatting to, to Ryan over Instagram this morning, there was like a flat out section where uh, Thierry was the only one that was um, completely pinned the whole way. And uh, I think they use that stage for the last three or four years anyway. So maybe it's just just the knowledge of knowing that he can keep it pinned down through certain sections. That's where he was making up the time towards the end. But um, that was really interesting, fascinating rally. Right, get you talking to, to, to younger men on Instagram, by the way. <laughs> get, get you. Um, we have to talk before we start talking about and everything you've just said there, John. I'm sure we're going to come to as well with, with Rye. But we have to discuss, of course, the, 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 the Tanak off, which it just had all the... Yeah, watching the video before you knew how it ended up, it just had all those feelings of shudder for me, yeah. right, uh, uh, John and 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 Rye. If I can bring you in on this, it had all those feelings of kind of oh, no, 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 no. This this is never. Yeah, this I is actually ne- watched it live. Did you watch it live? Yeah, yeah, I watched it live, and I, and I think thankfully because we'd seen the the onboard. It, it looked far worse outside than it did inside. I mean, yes, it was yeah. a big hit, but at least inside you could kind of see what had gone on. You heard them talking. Um, yeah. But then when you saw it outside, wow, that was frightening. Well, that's that, that's where I was going, right, to be honest with you. My, my, I didn't see any of the, 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 the onboards. Uh, I only repeatedly seen the external shots. I did have to, I did have the benefit of hindsight of knowing that they were okay. But you, you know, as I know, okay can be, well, he's okay, you know, not, I didn't see him getting off the car and stuff like that at this point. And I just, it just had all those things of, oh my word, this, this, this there's no good news going to come out of this. And, mm-hmm. and I, ironically, right, that's exactly what came out of it because one thing that we have learned is just how strong these cars are now. Uh, yeah, we we have. Um, yeah, it, it's it's funny how things happen. Um, you know, we obviously saw the the freak accident in in Ireland last year on on Donegal, and uh, it, you have to have a bit of luck in in accidents, that's for sure. But certainly the cars are, are, are very strong. Uh, it stood up to it in, in, incredibly well. I mean, that's one of the highest speeds off you. You know, highest speed you can have an off. Um, and and they walked away from it. And it, I guess it's the old story: if a car uh, dissipates, it's uh, you know speed gradually rolling. It's much better mm-hmm. than than obviously one one big stop. But that's that initial impact into the field was uh, was certainly a heavy one. But anyway, um, good news that that they're fitting well. Um, what I think is interesting is that uh, we we forget just how hard these cars are pushing all the time. Uh, we don't see big accidents very often from the top drivers in the WRC, and yet they're taking the maximum out of every single corner to do the stage times that, that they are. And, you know, to see an accident like that is is a surprise, and yet um, it, it's amazing that it that it doesn't happen more often. Uh, and I think that the second thing to that is that the cars are so incredibly capable now with the aero that they've got. Like John was just talking about, you know, we, we saw... 
um, Navil committing to the arrow on that high speed section we were just talking about and, and they're just literally uh, committing to the downforce now of course if you hit a bump or a compression as Tanak did that, that completely affects that downforce so um, it, it's, you know we've got to a stage now where the cars have gained much more performance the drivers are the most professional I've ever been pushing to the limit uh, this will happen now and again um, you know we've just got to got to hope that everybody walks away from it as they did right is that a term that is is is, is quite new and I don't mean this to be flippant but genuinely you've just used the term there which perhaps I haven't really picked up on before or, or whatever but driving to the aero is that something that has become a thing in rally since these cars have come about do you think yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've never had aero in the WRC like we have now. Yes, the cars have always had wings. They've had some level of downforce. But, uh, you know, we we only have to look at these cars to see they look like DTM cars now. And that means they've got an incredible level of downforce. And um, I remember speaking to Craig Breen about this when Craig stepped back from a WRC car into an R5 car. And he said that was actually the uh, the tricky thing to get used to again, going back to R5, was that it was much more unstable at high speed. Um, so, so yes, absolutely. These The drivers at the top level in these cars are relying 100% on the aerodynamics to get them through that fast stuff. Yeah. Now, if we... I think, go on, I think that's, a tricky, that's a tricky part for a driver that's coming, sort of stepping up from R5 into a WRC car as well as is getting their head around um, how much they can rely on on the aero of these modern WRC cars compared to to that of an R5, and um, we've seen that with with drivers like Tiemann, and you know they they have a one-off rally and maybe two rallies in a year, but they're just struggling to get their head around how much corner speed they can carry and how little they have to actually break in corner entry, and and um, yeah, it's 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 obviously something that. Uh, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult for, for younger drivers nowadays. John, if I can co- come to you first on this, just I wasn't going to go here, but just picking up on the point you've just made there, obviously carrying on from what Rice said, taking that into account what Pontus tried to do, of course, last year, and, and you, as you say, that, that effect of jumping in and out, mm-hmm. how does that affect your forward planning? Because obviously you're going into JWRC now, which I wasn't going to come to this yet, but you're going to go into JWRC. Obviously, you're, you're trying to get a, your career, career trajectory on. Are you working towards perhaps that maybe we may have a very much, I suppose, in inverted commas, detuned WRC car in the future because of costs and because of these things. Because otherwise, it's 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 almost you know it, it, it's you almost could be trying to drive a Formula One car from going from a kart. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely the the progression. Never mind financially, but driving wise is very difficult to make for for a young driver because if you go from an R2 to an R5 it's a huge step and then R5 WRC there's so much you need to learn and it's all about getting as much seat time as you can and that just costs more money and that's why you know not to pick on Tiedemann but drivers like that that are struggling they're spending 150 grand to go and do um, a WRC event and they're, they're not getting their full potential because probably because of lack of seat time, really, and experience, but um, it, it is quite difficult. The future for me is, is less clear because we don't really know what way the sport's going to go when it goes into this um, hybrid phase and, and how that's going to affect the, the cars and manufacturers and what they intend on doing, but 
Um, I know with junior WRC, there's a good ladder of progression now to get to um, a WRC seat. So that's why it's attractive for me. And um, uh, from a personal point of view, I can see a path, but it's never going to be easy to get there. And it it never has been. I don't think it has, Ryan. Ryan's the king of of trying to find pathways (laughs) into seats. (laughs) I can't possibly comment, but Ryan Champion, can you get that right? Uh, yeah, and, and I mean that was when the BRC was was a big part of that. You know, the British Championship was a was a big stepping stone on the way to the World Championship, and and that unfortunately isn't there anymore. You know, we just don't have the manufacturer teams in the, in the British Championship to, to help make that step. So uh, you have to get to world level to prove yourself as uh, you know as John has already been through that process we're doing juniors and then into the r5 car and then you know taking a step back to to do the same again and uh, you know and that's something a lot of drivers have had to do during their career is 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 take a step back to go forward again and you know it isn't just uh in just some of the lesser known names if we look at tanak we look at evans we look at neville all three of those drivers uh had to take it really a step back or a sideways step to go forward again and particularly with mm-hmm. tanak i mean you know it's he's now there at the sharp end he's now the world champion but unlike maybe uh, an Auger where it happened straight away for him a low bit happened straight away I mean Tanak had to fight year on year to stay in a drive let alone get to uh, you know a, a full time seat in the world championship and eventually it paid off but a lot of drivers haven't had that number of opportunities that Tanak has well, if we can talk about some of the drivers that have got there the, the, uh, I genuinely uh, I genuinely thought um, a Cali Rovan pair ride would finish exactly where he finished to me. Uh, and, you know, that just comes back to the, the point I just made. Some, it's, you see the sink or swim in these cars. You know, like John's just talked about, Pontus Tiedemann has, has struggled in these cars with, with something I'm going to come back to in my annual business. Funnily enough, it links perfectly as if we planned it. Um, but <laughs> just some people do struggle to move from an R5 car into a top-line car and it seems that Cali Rovenpera isn't one of those you know he's he's <laughs> going to be in the Auger category he's going to be in the Loeb category he can just jump in it and uh, and switch on to it yes he's had the miles yes he's had the testing but nonetheless you know there, there doesn't seem to be anything he's fearing in that car and already we were seeing frustration from him that he couldn't match his teammates yeah which is we, we- which is my do you see something john obviously to, to me you're still a relatively young man but in many ways how old are you now john i'm 25 now you're 25 uh, so so you're yeah. eight you're eight years older than than cali now yeah, obviously scary, we all know what, scary, isn't it? i know i know but <laughs> we, we all know how long he's been around and, and what he's done as well but do you see something did, you know, do you see something or did you see something rather when he was driving an R5 car of course because you drove those did you did you think it was going to be uh, and let's not be get carried away of course it's well it's two events he's done of course uh, in, 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 in a current spec world car but did you did, did you see that thing that he was going to be able to step up or was it you know was it just is it just that lottery of until they do it you don't know Um. well I think Cali is, you know, an, an exception, an exceptionally talented driver at such a young age. So um, I don't think anyone really bets against him being able to, to get in and drive um, anything fast. But I, I know I've, I know his co-driver a little bit and um, I've spoke a bit with him, just like how methodical that 
Cali is and like his approach and the detail that he goes to in his pace notes, but also making sure that they're so simple, which would work well for jumping into a faster car as well. Um, but he seems to um, <clears throat> think in high detail about how he can get the most performance. I think I heard him comment about it at one of the stage ends at the weekend, just like he's trying to figure out um, what's the fastest way to drive the car. Um, what I got from that was what he meant was in, in every situation on the Monte, so where there were um, ice patches on slow corners, fast corners, so I think he's very methodical in his, in his approach, and that's why he's he's done so well from a, a young age. Obviously, um, he's got good guidance from his, his father and uh, experience to rely on there too. But at the same time, his dad seems to be very hands-off, <clears throat> especially now. So, yeah, he's... Um, he keeps impressing, um, that's for sure, and I don't think uh, it'll be too long until we see him at the the top end and posting fastest stage times, and hopefully end up getting. Um, you know, he, he could be in the run to be the, the youngest ever rally winner. I think he has until twenty one, which um, is, is currently held by Yari Mali Latpala. So um, it'd be nice if he could beat that record. Yeah, no, it would be, it would be. Right, just, and again, it go, as ever, there's never a script here, we always kind of hop around, but just just going on what, what John's just been talking about, because we've just been talking about um, Calais, do, do you think, how much of that is natural, and how much of that is because literally, from when he could walk, it feels like he is being schooled? I can imagine him doing pace notes at the age of four with his dad, for instance, you know, whether that's, whether that's good or bad, and whether it's a pushy par- parent or whatever, right. Um, you know, I don't know, but how much of that is natural? How much of that is just the fact that he doesn't know anything else? Uh, I think it's hard to detach the two, honestly. Um, you know, obviously he's grown up around the sport. He, he's, he's grown up around his dad driving at the top level. And then, and then he's straight into it. Like you said, he's a, He's around cars at a young age. Uh, you know, I'm sure he was on quads. He would be on bikes before rally cars. So he was into it. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. You've got to have some natural talent. If you haven't got natural talent, then you've got nothing to work with. Um, but uh, I think it's, uh, you know, as we've talked about before, if you could take 50,000 people and whittle them down through some selection process to, to one person and you put the funding behind that one person, there's a there's a very good chance of, of success if, you know, if you had the funding to do it. Um as John said, you've got to have mileage. Uh, we, we've heard it in other sports about the 10,000 hours. I mean, God, to get 10,000 hours in a rally car would be would be a dream. But you see somebody like Callie who has been driving nonstop since a young age, and, and that has to help. Uh, like you said, he's never known any different. He's been jumping into different cars. Driving is second nature to him. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for a lot of us in this country, uh, and John included in this, you know, we just don't normally get time in a car, honestly. So it's uh, it's very difficult to imagine being in that position. Mm, very much so. And if we can kind of switch back over to to Monty and, and talk first and foremost, the unfortunate thing which I was watching on all live uh, was what started happening right with the Fiestas. And as soon as one went through, you just kind of thought, well, uh, this is it now. <coughs> all the Chain reaction. Yeah, absolutely, John. Uh, right. What was your take on it? 
Well, it's just just unfortunate, isn't it? It's strange that they didn't have it in testing at, at any point. Um, you know, they, they, you would think they would have tested at some point with uh, fallen leaves, and, and they would have seen some evidence of that. But um, like you said, once it happened to one car, then there was a good chance it was going to happen to the others. And uh, obviously, it is a smaller uh, grill area, smaller air intake area on the, the Fiesta than it is on either the the Yaris or the the i twenty. Um, yeah, like I said, just just surprising that they've never seen any signs of that before. Um, I guess the flip side of it is they were lucky that the engine survived. Um, and actually, you know, uh, Timmy Sunnan had a transmission problem. Lappy probably finished where he would have done anyway. Uh, Gus obviously had his his unfortunate off, and and uh, you know, amazingly, it didn't really um, it didn't really knocked back their rally it was other issues that uh, that that probably held the cars back um uh, but you know i guess we we did see some some sparks from uh, from lappy which was good he was very hard on himself he was beating himself up but you know the times were coming there so so let's hope that uh, the m sport can be competitive this year john i don't know whether you've obviously you've been around all types of cars as well is there is, is there any way the teams can get that type of information into the crews in advance now or is that just not not happening because in my in my, in my mind I wanted I wanted somebody to just drop somebody a text sat on the line and go look we might have a problem here but I guess there's nothing you can do about it. you've just got to see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that they would have been and um, they would have got a text from the team or something, especially like the likes of Goss that was running further back um, than than Timo. Um, so, but it's just one of them things. I don't think there was anything they could really do about it. It was just gonna inevitably happen each car because it seemed to be there was just so many leaves in that particular um stage stage one so um i don't think there was there was too much they could do about it and yeah but you can definitely um get a, a cheeky little text message in the before the, the start of the the line just to see if everything's going okay with the stage or if there's any information coming back um because obviously all teams they can watch all live now and uh, they know what's happening on stage and they can um, relay some information back to the, the crews that haven't started the stage yet. So it's um, all all lives definitely you know brought the the, the sport into a new era and um, even though they don't have split times and stuff in the cars, um, they can still be told information while they're sat waiting to go into the stage um, by their teams. So it's uh, it's definitely very interesting. I'll tell you one thing, uh, thanks to that, John. I'll tell you one thing, right, that I also noticed, and when I'm looking at the, the, the final finishes and stuff like that, I don't know whether it's just a psychological thing, but I didn't half notice the difference <coughs> of not having Citroen there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I thought the same. You know, it, it sudden, suddenly, uh, I wouldn't it say shallow. we lacked, it, it looks yes, shallow. We lacked depth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We suddenly seemed to be through the Will Rally cars and, and onto the R5 cars. And, and that was despite the fact that, you know, we had three car teams and a four car team in, in terms of uh, Toyota. So, uh, yeah, it is unfortunate. It is what it is. But I think you're absolutely right that um, we we probably didn't realise how good it was with four teams. And I, and I think mm-hmm. also you've got to reflect on, on how the show must have been with only two teams back in the day as well. And let's hope we don't drop back to that. Well, Rich Milner and I only talked about that on, on, on last week's pod. That was one thing that, you know, I was around the service park 
you know, working a lot more back in those days. And yeah, we, we probably didn't realize, uh, I suppose, uh, how good it was. And, and you know, with, with having four teams, as, uh, as you've just said there, but, um, yeah, it just, it, it just kind of struck me, um, John, as Ryan just said, we were very quickly into the R5s. I know I'm going to get, I know what Ryan's take on this. Can I ask you your thoughts? And I know you're going to be very tactful on this, John, because you're going to be in the service park soon, of course, but can I get your thoughts on WRC2 and WRC3, please? Um, so it's sort of similar to last year, isn't it? Um, they're just the fact that they renamed the, uh, WRC2 Pro. Pro. Yeah. They've taken the Pro out, called that WRC2. And now WRC2 um, Privateer um, is just WRC3. So um, <clears throat> I was surprised how little entries there was in the Pro. Um, I thought there would be actually more this season, but um, Skoda don't have a full-time team, although they now have a part program with Oliver Solberg. So um, it'll be good to see them in. Uh, hopefully there's more teams in the um the WRC2 category throughout the season, but it's still a bit strange separating them. I know why they do it, um, but I think it's sort of, yeah, it's it's good and bad because it means that some like me, me... Trust me, Ryan Champion thinks it's appalling. There's no good and bad yeah. about it. <laughs> well, from, from my point of view, it's good for a driver like me that can go into WRC3 and um, <clears throat> actually aim to win that, you know, with a, a reasonable budget. Um, cause if you're in, if you're up against every team in R5, there's, you know, if you're up against the like Skoda, then they've got like a, a works budget. So it's very hard to, to go up against them and beat them with a, a private, privately run car. Um, but also for, for me, if I win the junior WRC this season, um, then I've got an R5 car <clears throat> that I can go and do. WRC3 in, I get support of the tyres, fuel, entry fees. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great ladder of progression. And me going into WRC3, I, I, it's a more realistic championship to win than WRC2. Um, just because of the, the financial and, um, how big the teams are in WRC2. But, um, yeah, it, it seems like a, you know, a reasonable goal. Um, so from that point of view, I think it's a good thing. And. Right. Um, <laughs> right, uh, uh, right. Have you softened? Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> Good and, uh, and I have, I understand what John's saying. You know, it's maybe more realistic to win WRC three than it is WRC two. But either way, there's still telephone numbers to do either. And if yeah. you didn't see Eric Camilli's stop line interview for anybody listening from the end of the last stage, go and watch it and see what he thought. Eric Camilli was absolutely thrilled because he won R five. Yeah. Not WRC3. He wasn't in WRC2, but he wanted to be the top R5 car. End of story. And and that sums it up for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of championships, yeah, it, at the end of the day, <clears throat> per rally, you're still going to be looking at the, the number one R5 car. And uh, you you don't want to win WRC2 and be beaten by WRC3 car and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, it, you still want to be the fastest R5 if you can. And I think no. that's what worked well for me whenever I done my prize race was a, I was just up against every R5 and WRC2 and um, it, got, it got me a lot of promotion being the fastest on, on the stage that I won. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to talk more 
uh Monte Carlo of course a little bit later on we've got we've got Seb Marshall joining us who of course uh is is technically without a seat although he was obviously did have a seat on Monte Carlo alongside Bex and in the service park and everything else so we're going to get a little bit more insider uh from Monte Carlo but also we've got John on because we wanted to talk to him about his entry back into the Junior World Rally Championship John um congratulations um first and foremost on actually making this happen thank you yeah, yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's sort of a, a strange route that I went. Um, sort of whenever I was probably last on the show, I had just done the Down Rally um, in the Mini WRC. And <clears throat> at that point, you know, I was ready to get um, seat time in a four-wheel drive car. Uh, our aim was to go and do, um, <clears throat> sorry, go and do um, our five rallies in the WRC, whether that was... Uh, WRC, well, it probably was going to be the Pride of the Year category, um, and the aim was to get our own car and stuff for that. Um, but then just being more realistic, uh, I was going to get more rallies out of going down the junior WRC route, um, and then the ladder of progression was clear. Um, so, like I was saying earlier, uh, the winner gets an R5 car, they get like 200 tires, entry fees for WRC3 the following year in 2021. Um, and then not too many people's picked up on this. I'm not sure if they have or not, but if you go and win WRC3 in the Fiesta that you win in WRC the following year, then you get two world rallies in a WRC car with M-Sport in 2022. Um, so it's a very clear progression to the top the top um, level in, in rallying and it is achievable like I was saying it, it's achievable for me to win w, WRC Junior this year even though it's going to be extremely difficult it's it's definitely achievable and to go and win um, WRC 3 is achievable as well because you're up against privateers and um, everyone's sort of on in, in the same boat budget wise um, so it's it's a realistic way for me to aim to get to the top. Um, I'm still obviously struggle to get up the budget for the season. It's not the easiest thing. Um, but towards the end of last year, I was pretty certain that I had secured the full budget for Junior WRC. But um, then in the new year, things changed, and it was all very stressful trying to decide what to do. But um, I had the budget to go and do the first two rounds with the aim of being in a good position and I'm pretty confident I would be able to um, finish off the year then. Um, I think the people that are investing into into the start of the year would be um, interested in, in helping me finish it as long as you know everything was going to plan and I didn't have two DNFs or something from um, the first two rallies, which which would be unlikely, but yeah, it's it's going to be tricky. You know, the first two rallies, Sweden is is going to favour Scandinavian drivers and drivers with more experience on snow events. Um, I've done one snow event in 2015, which was Rally La Paya, which is part of the ERC. Um, so I'm not a complete newbie, but yeah, my experience. I'll tell, right. tell you what I've got for you, John. I've got yeah. a, I've got a bloke who I know is just been mucking about on snow and ice for about a week and a half, and he's going to go and do it again <laughs> in a minute. Ask him. Ask him. He's called Ryan <laughs> Champion. Ryan Champion, give him some tips. 
Um, I'm not sure John needs needs too many tips. It's quite different going around a frozen lake to going down a stage, that's for sure. But I mean, yeah. it's uh, it is just trusting in the tyres. You know, you've got so much grip, and and as you'll uh, you'll you'll get to feel from it, it's just learning how much grip you've got and and understanding how much you can lean on it, regardless mm-hmm. of the surface. It's 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 always the same. But um, I just wanted to come to that because you know, obviously, you've got. Uh, New events. You've got several new events for you. So even mm-hmm. though you've done the uh, the JWRC before, there's there's two events you know well, and three events that are brand new. Yeah, that's it. Um, and that's something that is, you know, it really does pay pay the events. You know, if you go to a rally that you've done before, you've got so much more confidence. You know your way around, even just the the way around the the sort of local area. It just makes you feel more relaxed, and you've got a bit more confidence. Um, but yeah, it's going to be. There's, there's a good spread of events. I think it does. It, it works well for the junior WRC. Um, like I say, Sweden. Realistically, if I got a podium, I'd be over the moon. Um, and then Sardinia. It's a very tough event. It's very rough on the little R2 cars. So you need to stay out of trouble, but you still have to be on the door handles if you want to. If you want a good result in a in an R2 category, so. Um, yeah, I'm confident I can have good pace in Sardinia, but um, it's just staying out of trouble as well. Uh, and then Finland, I've done before, but I didn't get too far. So if I get the finish this year, I'll be happy on Finland and I'll not be too far away. So, um, yeah, it's all about being smart in the championship like this, though. Like, I would say I've matured more as a person now. I'm, I think a bit more smartly about Well, that, that's that's what I was going to ask you then, because you've not uh, you've not had the opportunity to do too many rallies since since the last time you did the uh, the junior WRC. Yeah. But nonetheless, you've got four-wheel drive experience. You, you've broadened mm. your experience, I would say. And obviously, you're a little bit older. So, so what have you what have you learned? What will you do differently this time around? Well, I think uh, we. I've got my experience from the year, from the year I done it. So I know, like, I've got I know a good relationship with Magic and Amsport Poland. I know the way the whole outfit runs. So I know how to get the most from that now. Um, but I know I need to work better on my strategy. So be just a bit more prepared in terms of tire strategy. Um, you know, have a plan for the for the rally and have a a clear um, tracking system for the tyres. Um, I want to think a bit more about setup and <clears throat> trying to, to figure out where the speed is rather than trying to force it because um, that's where you get into the problems like where I went off in Finland. Um, so yeah, it's just it's being smart and, you know, if you're not on the pace, it's taking a step back and, and trying not to get too excited because... Um, it's very much a championship about collecting as much points as you can across the year with, without getting any DNFs. Um, issues do happen, but the good thing with the junior WRC is you get a, a, a championship point for each stage win. So, um, you know, speed is, you know, speed is, is good. It's a good thing. You know, you're going to get rewarded for it. So, um, but you also need to, to gather as many points as you can. Um, but then Rally GB's points and a half again this year, so that's another another good thing. I know <clears throat> Germany and, and Rally GB are probably my strongest rallies, so they're the last two as well. So I really just need to have a good, consistent start to the year. Um, obviously, Sweden's going to be difficult, but I've also not had tons and tons of seat time or even on-event seat time in the last few years. So I just really need to get up to speed. It's 
John, John, I know you're going to be fine, mate. Honestly, <laughs> stop talking yeah, yourself it, down. You're going to be fine. You're going to be it's fine. One of them things, you are, you are, it's always a bit unclear, isn't it? But then once you get going, you're fine. Yeah, you'll um, be you'll, you'll be fine because you're going to be our man in JWRC. I hope you realise that. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're our reporter now in JWRC. So you're going to be our go-to guy, basically. Tell you all the crack, yeah. Tell me all yeah, the crack. Yeah, we, we used to have Jack Benyon, but he's always too busy now to tell us about rallies, so. <laughs> yeah, he's watching, he's watching cars grow in circles now, isn't he? Uh, yeah, something like that. And making sure that his, <laughs> his ankles don't get burned. Listen, John, uh, before, well, we're at the point now where we need to go to break anyway, so this is the point where we let you go back to your day job, because I'm assuming you're still driving cars. Virtual cars as virtual well. Virtual cars, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to let you go back to work. Um, so listen, mate, we thank you so much for your time. And, no, uh, as, as, I, as I say, we will, uh, we will get you back after Sweden and, uh, we'll keep everything crossed for you. Okay, my mate. All right. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much. Happy days, folks. We're going to go to a break and then we'll be back with Ryan Champions. Any other business? This is Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome back to... Brian Champion's own little section of this particular podcast, because of the way we broke it down this week, we've obviously had John at the top there talking all things Monte Carlo from his point of view and also what's coming up with Rally Sweden and his plans for, for JWRC. Um, so Ryan's flying off as ever, as Ryan does, um, to go and play on some frozen lakes and play snowball fights with other rally drivers etc etc um, so <laughs> i don't know what goes on you know what i mean i, I, I really don't know uh, so you know you, you you could be in hot tubs together for all i know i'm i'm just guessing um i'm gonna shut up now um so my any other business um for this week was a bit of a talking point right because i mentioned it very very briefly um it's more of a it's not really in any other business it's a bit lazy this right but were you surprised to see um adamo swapping a driver so soon um for sweden i guess you're talking yeah, about yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, he, i think he probably had a plan in his mind um you know, maybe we didn't know about it, but I'm just not sure it was a knee-jerk reaction to Monte Carlo. He's quite a shrewd customer, isn't he? And uh, he seems to know what he wants. He seems to know how to get the best out of people. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I think he maybe had this in the back of his mind anyway. I don't just think he's looked at the weekend and gone, Sebastian Loeb, you're not the driver I thought you were, you're out. Uh, I don't think it's as simple as that. And, and it was a strange performance from Sebastian Loeb. You know, we... We're used to seeing uh, perfect performances from from Loeb, and he, you know, he kept saying, "I think I've had a good stage. I've done what I could do. The road was dirty, and and yet when it it came to the you know the last day particularly, um, he fried his tyres and and dropped from four to six, and and that is just the exact opposite we would expect to see from Seb- Sebastian Loeb. So, yeah, did, 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 do you know what though? Did everybody? Because everybody seemed to, you know, obviously we 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 didn't talk too much in depth about Elvin, but obviously Elvin dropped off on the final day. OGA wow. kind of dropped off a little bit. Obviously, he pipped Elvin to second, but you know, I think the, the smartest person clearly was was Thierry Nouvelle who, who looked after his tyres. Was it was a case of 
everybody. Mm, I, I, you know, I'm not sure he. I'm not sure he did look after his tyres because he was fastest on all the stages. Um, you know, and if you look at Auger, I just think it was interesting with Auger because we know he is brilliant at doing the, as much as he can, and he won't do more. But it's the sort of first time I really remember him consciously talking about it throughout the event. You know, even going into the last day, well, I'll push as fast as I feel I can. I'll push as fast as I feel I can. I won't drive beyond my limit. And he was very much talking talking about that all all along. So, you know, we were messaging be, uh, between ourselves during the rally whether the fact that it might be the last time he does the Monte Carlo rally was playing on his mind, whether it was Tanak's accident. Uh, but he clearly wanted to get to the end. He clearly didn't want to make a mistake, whereas I think Thierry Neville was desperate to win the rally. And I think Neville had a bit more hunger to win the rally. I think when we look at, at Elvin, um, he, he, he just probably needs that little bit more time to get the last the last percent out of the car in, in the heat of the, the battle like that maybe I mean I, I'm not I'm not sure I think he was a, a fantastic performance from Elvin and when he said dropped off I mean they were all still within 15 seconds after over three hours of competition at the end of one of the toughest rallies in the world so it, it wasn't what we saw from Sebastian Loeb where he, he suddenly you know dropped minutes um, on the third stage where he was taking it easy because he, he'd run out of tyres I honestly thought Loeb would, would push again in the last stage but we just didn't see it so very strange from, from Sebastian Loeb um, um, but nonetheless, regardless of the reason, to go back to the original question, I think it's fantastic we're going to see Craig Green and Paul Nagel back in the World Championship already in Sweden. I think so, because we're hearing, I'm hearing different things about maybe him doing more stuff outside of the World Rally Championship at the moment. So I'm not going to say too much, but I think there's an announcement coming uh, in the not too distant future about doing some additional stuff outside of the World Rally Championship, which I think will be quite interesting. Anyway, there you go. There you go. Uh, Jack Bengins, any other business from last week? We're going to keep it going. We were talking about nicknames. That's certainly Jack was anyway. So uh, best nicknames in rally in regards to, um, you know, rally drivers or events or cars or, or whatever. Um, and I've struggled to, I've, I, 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 what was the, what was the one that McCray called? Uh, was it Delacour? What was what was he when when Delacour and Panizzi had gone at it? Oh, I don't, I'm a crazy Frenchman or a mad Frenchman or something. So, so, yeah, something more abusive probably. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think it, I think it, it probably was. Um, and then uh, the only other one I could kind of think of straight off the top of my head when he said it last week, and I didn't say it because I saved it for this week. But it was the 307. It was the whale, wasn't it? That was the that was the nickname that I think that unofficially I think it was given. 307 oh, well, World Rally Car. Well, I'm not going to give mine until uh, until we talk about it next week. Okay, all right. I sprung to mind, and uh, I'll talk about it with Jack next week when we come okay, to it. All right, all right. Um, so we'll get your any other business for this week before you uh, go flying yeah. off. Yeah, and it's funny, it does tie into uh, what we were just talking about with uh, John earlier, earlier on in the show. And it's... Um, it is interesting that we see some drivers that just come through the ranks and come all the way through from front-wheel drive cars to whatever this or whatever the second division might be at the time into the top level and bang they're on it straight away so we saw Loeb do it from Super 1600 you know we obviously saw Auger do it uh, as we touched on I think we'll see Cali Rovampera do it but I'd like uh, some of our listeners to get involved in this one as well and we'll maybe touch on it last week but um who were the drivers who we thought in the junior categories and the second division category, whatever it might have been at the time, who we thought they're going to be future world champions, 
and then for whatever reason their career just petered out uh, you know if we look at somebody like maybe Yuho Hannanen in IRC days he was incredible on all surfaces came into WRC and it just never quite clicked for him we've seen it with Pontus Tiedemann recently again fantastic in, in uh, WRC 2 isn't quite working for him in, uh, in, in WRC and then we come to the French drivers and Eric Camilli, what did you think to Eric Camilli's performance at the weekend? I thought I I thought it was uh, I thought he looked a cut above everybody else in an R5 car. And he he put in a great performance. Um, he yes, uh, some of his rivals, including Osberg, had punctures, but Camilli I think pretty much led the category from if it wasn't from the start, it was from stage two onwards, whatever it was. And he put in a, a fantastic performance. He seemed to control it, and yet we saw Camilli come into the WRC and, and Julian Porter touched on this on uh, on all live on, on the commentary did he come in too early um, because it seems he's a better driver now than he was at the time but other drivers as we said have come in early and thrived Cali Rovenpera I think will be a, an example of that so it's just interesting to see you know and, and again we've touched on this in the past the Yari Mati Latvalas the the Andreas Mickelsons that were driving WRC cars very early in their career came to the top level and, and did it exceptionally well, but didn't quite ever compete for I, that world championship. Do, do, do you know what I think was a, was a, a massive breeding ground for this particular type of driver that didn't quite get there, but obviously was the JWRC as we knew it with manufacturers. So, you know, when the Suzuki's were there and Volkswagen, you know, there was, there was one Finnish driver who was in the Volkswagen Polo. He was one of the few people who drove the Polo at JWRC level. Really long name, beginning with K. Oh, that would uh, bug me. That would uh, bug me. But I think he ended up in a Swift anyway, uh, eventually. Um, but he's Katiamaki. Something like that, yeah. But uh, Umawava, I seem to remember in the Swift. Um, you know, there was lots of very, very quick guys in the Super 1600 category that Guy Wilkes obviously who uh, we might talk to pretty soon we need to get him back don't we because he's become very vocal again so we do need to get him back hey, Guy's always been vocal yeah uh, I know I know, I'm, I'm, sure, I know. I'm sure he'll be listening to this so he's always been very vocal and uh, yeah he might as well just come on and uh, be vocal on air hadn't he he might as well he might as well but um, there was there was a lot there was a, you know, I was just going to say to me the Super 1600 era um just felt i suppose uh, you know maybe it's just because i love that particular period but there were so many drivers that of course were all gunning for for for, for the wrc top line which i suppose all the r5 drivers are now as well of course they are but to me i don't know if it's because they were proper factory teams as well and you'll yeah, know this and there's something about fighting tooth and nail rally for rally isn't there you know like yeah. the super 600 cars were the one make championships which we bang on about every week you know they they bred that somehow in uh, in R5 or WRC2, WRC3, whatever, we don't see consistent fights week in, week out with people fighting tooth and nail, do we? You know, it's different people, different rallies, and uh, it just doesn't seem to bring that cutting edge maybe, competition. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's the championship because there's drivers that come in and say, well, oh, my program this year is three events, so I'm going to get maximum mileage, whatever it may be. Whereas when you commit to a championship, whether it be JWRC, um, as we know it in a one-make championship. Now, of course, what we've just been talking to John about, or whether it was back in those days, most of the time you were committing to a championship, so you were fighting for a championship, so there was a strategy where you had to go out and fight as opposed to just get mileage. Maybe that was, maybe that's got something to do with it, right? I don't know. 
yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it'd be good to hear uh, people's thoughts. You know, who were the drivers who they thought would make it to the very top, who maybe didn't, or they thought would be world champion, but you know, it didn't quite work. And it, it, there's no exact science in this because uh, we, you know, we often hear, and I think we would all like to see some some funding from Motorsport UK into British drivers. I think there's no two ways about it. We would like to see our governing body putting putting money in to to help drivers like John get to the the top of the sport. But you know, everybody sort of lauded what the FFSA did, the French Federation, because obviously they discovered Loeb, they discovered Auger. But they also put big funding into the likes of Sebastian Chardonnay and Stefan Leferbe and, and Eric Camilli, who who were good drivers and yet haven't quite made that last step. So uh, it's it is difficult to judge from the the junior levels who is a world champion of the future. But they do fund so many. Ironically, the guy who drove Car Zero on Monty, um, Florian. Uh, I can't remember Florian said. I, I know him that well. I only know him by his first name because he was working with us on placements seven years ago. He was a mechanic in B- BRC with us. Uh, and he was doing, he was studying over there, but he did all the one make championships around Europe. He did like the, 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 the Swingos and the Adam and stuff like that. And he's been backed by the FFSA for years. Yes, so like, like you say, they do back a number of a number of yeah, drivers. It's not, yeah, ju- it's not yeah. just all the way to kind of to the top level as such, but there's you know certain drivers that achieve will be supported by them. And and you know I, I was just giving him as an example that it's not necessarily just world champions and world rally cars as well. You know they, they've been doing it at one make championships around Europe as well. So interesting anyway. And, uh, right. and you know you might think what happened to Stefan Leferb? Did you know he was the Benelux Rally Trophy winner last year? I hadn't been thinking about it. Um, no. Well, there we are. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that. Right. I'll sleep tonight. Sleep tonight. Uh, right. Um, speaking of which, you need to go and pack. I do. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure. Um, this is your bit of the podcast for this week. Um, you will be. How long are you playing on Frozen Lakes for? Uh, uh, I'll be in Sweden next week. Anyway, next ten days or so. Next ten days. So you might not even be with us next week. So who knows? It might be Jack I'll, Benyon. I'll, I'll might be Jack Benyon. Might be I'll Jack Benyon slagging you off. I'll try and be with you next week, and I'll try and see what special guest I can find in Sweden. Good How man. Good man. Sounds exciting. Folks, uh, we will be back after this break with the aforementioned Trevor Agnew at the top of the podcast, along with Seb Marshall. This is Absolute Rally. Ireland's leading commercial note supplier, Killian Duffy, has joined forces with 2016 British Rally Champion Craig Parry to form On The Pace Note UK. For more information, visit the website onthepacenote.co.uk. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally. Obviously, we've just had Ryan Champion with his own little section there for just his own any other business because that's how special Ryan Champion is. As I mentioned in that section as well, we've got, we've, we, we've got a man who was on the ground. Sadly, not in his race suit, but in his warm woolly pulley and his jumper and his coat and I'm sure many, many pairs of socks. Seb Marshall, hello. Hey Tony, how's it going? We're all good, we're all good. We've got Trevor Agnew with us as well. You, you couldn't be bothered to turn up for the first part of the podcast. Hello Trev. Hello, how are you? And we're alright, we're alright, we're alright. Um, but uh, me me, me, and Ryan and John Armstrong kind of went all around the houses talking little bits of Monty and stuff like that. But I thought, you know what, it's, 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 it's going to be good because we've got two men that have done it. Uh, I'm sure you have done it, haven't you Trev? Don't make me look silly. No. 
You've not done it. No, I've been there and worked on it quite what, a bit. But why not, are you even on the podcast, done. Trev? I've got a uh, yeah. question. Actually, <laughs> don't tell me I've been caught out about six years later. Wow, God no! <laughs> it took you long enough. Except pretend Trev's not there. <laughs> well, well, I mean, to be honest, to be honest, Tony, I've I've only done Monty once, but like Trev, I've been there about ten years, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll bluff our way through it. It's fine. Okay, it's we, we we can do that. Um, you were the, you were out there, obviously, in a, a were you in an official or unofficial capacity while you're out there? I know, obviously, you did some stuff with the lovely Bex, but was that official or were you just kind of being a a, a, a tourist, so to speak? Official official media tart, I think. Really? Oh. I, 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 I was, uh, I, as I said to everyone else, I was on holiday tourist mode, full on, just out there catching up with some friends, you know, and, uh, and colleagues, and yeah, obviously did a little bit with uh, with all live and, uh, and with Dirtfish as well. So, uh, but purely for just a bit of fun. Now uh, we're gonna we're gonna the, the elephant in the room is not as Trev done the Monte Carlo. We found that out the hard way. Um, I should have just looked at EWRC.com really, shouldn't I? I've been really lazy. Um, obviously, you're not in a, a seat at the moment. What can you tell us about that? And, and have you got anything in the diary at the moment? Um, yeah, so obviously, first up, um, myself and Chris are uh, doing the Boucle de Bastogne in Belgium this coming weekend um, in a Mark II Escort. Uh, I think Mika Hervenen's going to be there and Craig Breen and um, yeah, it should be doing that for just a bit of fun. It's a rally that's uh, seems to have gained quite a bit of reputation over the last few years and got an invite to do that. So yeah, really looking forward to that. Beyond that, um, yeah, it's it's looking a bit quiet at the moment to be honest. Um, but like I said, I was in Monte Carlo speaking to a few people and looking at a couple of options potentially. So um, yeah, we'll uh, wait and see on that score. This must be, and I'm going to ask Trev first because Trev's now retired so this might this might be an easier question for him to answer as opposed to you um, Trev is it just literally you're waiting for somebody to drop the ball at, when you're in this particular no man's land of trying to find a seat or whatever am I am I am I misreading that yes you are that would be a horrible thing to do wishing your colleagues to make a mistake that wouldn't be right at all <laughs> um no, it's it's a case from my, certainly my situation. There's plenty of people that you uh, that you talk to, and there were offers you considered. And you didn't just sit at home waiting for the phone to ring. You had to be proactive and and go exploring. It certainly a lot of my seats were that way. Um, and yeah, that's I think the benefit. Uh, I think I'd agree. I'd agree with that, Trev. Like uh, I've found, I've been in the situation a few times uh, when I've been you know co-driving at this level, and yeah, you've just got to. Does it does it help obviously being in the service part? Because I can imagine that being both a blessing a blessing and a curse almost. Because obviously you want to be doing the event, but it's a bit like networking, isn't it? Business networking, you know, you've got to be seen, you've got to re- remain on people's radars, I guess. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, it's it's a cliche, isn't it, to be this sort of networking and be there? But ultimately, you know, it, it's proved in the past that it works. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a worthwhile exercise. And I mean, certainly, there's times watching the the, the TV in Monte Carlo where you know you think, oh, crikey, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad to be missing out on this particular <laughs> rally. Watching uh, the, the stage in the dark and the ice and the snow, and you think, yeah, it's. Uh, there's good points and bad points, aren't there? <laughs> Absolutely. If I can take you, of course, to the rally, which is what, another reason why we we wanted to speak to you. Obviously, it was you know there was there was new faces all around and you know new race suits and and, and everything else. And obviously, you've had experience now of of the two 
I suppose, top-line teams as, as they considered both Toyota and Hyundai. What was your take on, firstly, obviously, from, from not from a personal point of view, obviously the driver lineup change was completely different for Toyota and obviously Hyundai, of course, had Oit there. Was there any surprises for you when the, when the lineups, apart from the, obviously the rude one of you not having a seat, was there any surprises by the appointments that the teams made for you? Um, once, once we knew that Oit was moving, um, I suppose that was the biggest surprise of the year, perhaps. Um, but after that, then I could, you know, sort of, you could start to move the, move things around and kind of work out how the, the jigsaw was going to fall into place. Um, so no, there weren't any, I wouldn't say there were any big surprises after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think obviously looking at that, how they panned, panned out across the rally, um, yeah, obviously Toyota's all three drivers, they managed a, a two, three, five, for, which was a pretty good result, I think, for them. Um, I'm sure, you know, Ryan and, uh, and John have perhaps already said how Thierry did an incredible job, but he's the only one of those drivers that actually was, or, you know, sort of, uh, had full knowledge of his car. Um, and particularly in those variable conditions, it's just that final bit of confidence that perhaps made the difference. Yeah, just one other thing then, you're at Monte Carlo and, and one of the things that I always find fascinating in Monte Carlo is the extra work the co not just the co-driver has to do, but also the weather crew. Um, so like at Gwyndaf, I assume, was doing uh, weather crew for or gravel notes or ice notes, whatever, for, for Elvin, is that right? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Who, who was co-driving them this year? Was it Phil or...? Um, I believe it was Andrew Edwards, um, oh, who right, okay. used to sit with Elvin quite, quite a few years ago now. But yeah, obviously familiar uh, with Elvin's space notes. I remember that. Um, so just for, for the benefit of our listeners, if you just want to talk us through the extra bits and what goes on and, and the extra work that you'd need to do in Monte Carlo, Seb, that'd be useful. Um, so yeah, I mean, okay, Monte Carlo is probably the, the, the hardest event for the, for the safety crew um, and for the co-driver as well, for that matter. Um, it starts obviously during the beginning of the week even when the recce is going on you'll be speaking with your safety note crew who might get a chance to look at some of the stages themselves get a bit of a feel for, for how it's going to pan out but once the recce's finished and you've got your notes tidied that's when when it starts to get really sort of full on um, you've got obviously your liaise with your, your sort of gravel crew co-driver to get the notes copied and Every every sort of team has a different setup, but certainly in the past I've ended up sort of maybe four, even five sort of copies of my notes just so that you can always start a fresh set whenever there's a repeated stage. Um, but of course, yeah, it's that communication and relationship with with the safety crew from purely from a sort of um, logistical point of view, um, making sure that the guys have got their timing in place so they can get through the stages in advance of you needing any weather info for tyre choices or if it might influence the setup in terms of damper and springs, that kind of uh, adjustments. Um, and then, yeah, what, then the actual adjust changes to the pace notes themselves. It's kind of, previously it always used to be either you'd meet uh, a member of the team and they'd sort of be a, what we call a runner where you'd, you'd have a, um, a certain point on the road section where, where you can pick up a copy of your notes that have been modified by your safety crew um, with all the adjustments. But in recent years, it's kind of shifted so that you now would either phone the information. Um, if you're in a sort of fixed place, like you're in service park, you can rely on the, the phone connection. That's quite good. But even now, you know, particularly 
uh, the last sort of year or so, you find it's actually easier just to take a picture, quick picture of the notes, send them through on WhatsApp. So then you could, there's no sort of uh, ambiguity in, uh, about what, what notes you actually need to change and add in ice or damp or even, you know, the, the kind of the positive notes, like, you know, good now, dry now. Um, so that sort of the working with, with the code, I get the timing of all that sorted. Uh, what, yeah, how you're going to also write write the information down on the notes because sometimes you do the, get the case where you have to, yeah, you know, the timing is so tight you have to use the pace notes that the the gravel crew have corrected. So you, you need to make sure you can read their handwriting, <laughs> that the notes are positioned in the right place. And it's it's, it's one of these things. There's so many little different aspects um, that go into it and. Uh, Okay, I hope obviously experience counts for a lot, but equally in the same way as you have a strong, you know, relationship with driver and co-driver, you also need to have a a good understanding between um, the driver and the safety crew driver so that they're sort of seeing things in the same way. And and the, the co-driver relationship also needs to be strong. You can, yeah, like I said, read your handwriting and, and be concise with your, your the way you're sort of delivering the information. I remember in the past we used to color coordinate as well. We used to use different highlighters for different types of ice or snow, or whatever. Is that still the case? I think for some people, yeah. I mean, it, a lot of these things, as, as with most of co-driving, it's kind of whatever you find works for you, really. Um, personally, I never like to, to sort of use a highlighter too much. Um, okay, not because it draws attention to it, but perhaps because it make, means you don't focus on other elements. And yeah, okay, there are more important parts, but to, to notes, you know, clearly. <laughs> Full ice is more important than an opens, for example, um, in that scenario. But uh, yeah, um, like I said, I, I in the last couple of years working with some some experienced safety crews uh, ended up we would have a completely fresh book for each stage. So in the past, you'd be like, oh well, there was ice in the morning, but that's gone now. It's just slush. They need to scribble out the ice and then put in slush. Whereas it, it, we found it to be a lot easier just to be right. Okay complete fresh these are the notes as we saw them on the recce yeah with no extra bits put in and then it, it sort of made it a lot more streamlined process but <laughs> yeah like i said it's kind of there's so many different ways of achieving the same result and yeah it's it, but it's a it's a massive challenge uh for the co-driver on on that rally yeah and and it's just the the, the fact that a lot of the time maybe not so much this year you can start off on dry tarmac wet tarmac slush right up to the top of the call, ice. Then around the north side, there's more ice and snow because the sun doesn't get there. Down the other side, and of course, you've got three stages in a row. And the gravel, or the, the safety crew, of course, has to clear them two hours before the first car, but that'll impact as well. So the, the time in between, is can, there's a lot can happen. We certainly saw effects of that on the rally this year, where it was a lot drier in places. And, uh, and again, that's yeah. probably down to experience as to why First off, Mackinac for four years in a row, then Loeb, and, and now, of course, Ozier were the kings of it. And, and we saw Neville break that uh, bogey this time. Yeah, I think I think that, that's a really important point, that um, so particularly on the Saturday, the two stages in the loop that day were, well, we knew they were always going to be probably the most icy, or rather, they were the ones, like, say, where you start in that traditional lower, lower altitude on dry tar, go up and over the coal, and... Both of those had that, and the way the conditions changed so much for one within the stage, but then like also the the time aspect from from having driven through all the all the drivers were saying at the stop line were ah you know it's changed the sun's come out it's it's 
it's it's melted, it's drier, and and of course you know there's like a, a sort of it's not that it's unsaid, but or basically the, the the role of a safety crew is probably the most thankless task in the world. You can only really get it wrong. Um, it's okay, yes, of course, they do get praised sometimes. We saw that um, Neville was quite praising of Danny Sordo, who'd stepped in to do his safety crew driver. But but that's where, okay, little, little elements of, yes, experience of having done that safety crew job means you can anticipate where certain things will, will dry out, perhaps. But, but then in the same way, on Thursday night, it can go the other way, where you're you're seeing the road in its best condition when it's dry and sunny, and then they'll, the cars will be coming through when it's uh, it's dark and perhaps temperatures fallen there's ice black ice forming so it's a nightmare of a job but um you know having done it a few times myself it certainly gives you a huge amount of respect for uh, for, for, for the role seb can i ask yes. you can i i'm glad you said that very definitively then sorry i was i'll be on i was i was a listener then do you know what? Sometimes this happens where I just sit back and normally it's Trev because he puts the most effort in out of Jack and Ryan. I'm saying that because neither of them are here. Um, but I just become a listener. So sorry, I was kind of just sat back drinking my coffee thinking I'd like to listen. I'm listening to the podcast. So that's why, that's why I reacted the way I did. I was, I was kind of my own little world there. So thanks, Seb. I, I appreciate that. Um, are we, are we going to be doing any more WRC live? Um, right now, there's no, no no plans on the horizon for that. But um, yeah, it was certainly an experience that I, that I quite enjoyed. Um, as, as I've well, been rattling on there for probably five or ten minutes, haven't I? About just about gravel crew. So yeah, it, it was a, a nice thing to sort of share my my insight with um, with the guys on on all live, and hopefully it was you know um, fairly well received. But yeah, we'll does, uh, we'll see. Does that give you a different perspective as well from watching that much? I know you watch a lot of onboards anyway, but do you necessarily watch a lot of other crews on boards? Have you done yeah, that previously? That's, that's a fair, it's a fair point, actually. I mean, perhaps, okay, I would n- normally gravitate towards watching uh, the, the onboards of, of English-speaking crews just because that's obviously I can understand the pace notes, and that's what I'm really interested in. Um, but no, it was funny. I did mention it a couple of times throughout the weekend that uh, it's almost more nerve-wracking watching watching the, watching the, the rally live than it is actually been sat in the car. Um <laughs> There's a couple of points where you, where yeah, you'd look and think, oh, he had a big slide there or outbreaked himself. And, and some people would be watching it thinking, oh, yeah, nothing going on. Whereas, yeah, perhaps because I, I know what it's like inside the car, you realise well, that, that was quite a big moment, yeah, just at that point. But um, no, it's certainly, okay, that different perspective is, is interesting and yeah, it can't, can't hurt to give you a greater appreciation for the, for the job as a whole. Now you, we, we keep on. We, we none of us have sat in these 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 current cars. Obviously, you had a full season um, last year in the Toyota. Obviously, previously you'd, you'd had a, a limited program, of course, in the high end. I, in conditions like we've just experienced, and we, of course we've seen the the the, the horrible instance that we seen Oik go off. Um, you know that was one of those ones where genuinely. Um, I didn't quite understand what happened thereafter because I, I I didn't I wasn't watching it live. So when I, I just seen that grab of a video and I didn't know what the result was, I I didn't know I, I, it was okay. And it was one of those moments where it was a proper shiver down the spine uh, when you seen you know the, the the trajectory that it went off at. But you know obviously thirty seconds later, a bit of research, you can find out that everybody was okay and that the safety cell was. You know, it, it served its purpose. It, 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 it's something which I'm never comfortable talking about. But does that 
from from a professional point of view, when you see that the cars survive something like that, does that make you feel better about the sport as well? Um, yeah, I think it, it, it's like you say, it's a, it's a difficult subject that, to talk about. Really, no one kind of wants to dwell on it for too long. But but ultimately, yeah, as, as these 2017 cars have, have you know developed uh, in the last two or three years. Clearly, the speeds, as we know, have got a lot higher. They're a lot more spectacular, spectacular to watch. But with that, okay, the FIA have been working incredibly hard to improve the the safety of, of the cars as a whole. And yeah, I think it's it's yeah, you know, it's great to see, but it's also absolutely the right thing and totally necessary because um, you know, the, the, with the speeds being higher, the risks are greater. And um, yeah, I think the fact that both Oit and Martin were able to walk away, okay, maybe a little bit sore the next day, but fundamentally absolutely fine um yeah it's it's um it is a pleasing thing to see um i wouldn't say it's encouraging and as such i mean obviously clearly you never want to have a, an, an accident of that magnitude but um yeah it's uh it's good to just basically to see there all right that was the, the first concern of everyone's really absolutely we, we, we are blessed when you consider you know the, how quick the sport is and as you just said how it's moved on and, and everything else with with downforce and things like that the, you know that we're, we're very very blessed that they are really very few and far between which is which is i think testament to you know just the drivers that we've got you know i genuinely believe that the current crop are the best we've ever had and i do get shot down for saying this but i genuinely believe they are the best crop we've ever had yeah, I think uh, I mean okay. You can you can have a, have the debate about who the best drivers are and and this kind of thing. But so and every year has got its different uh, different challenges. But certainly, yeah, the way that the sport is now, it's it's the fastest it's ever been, and and that brings it with it a whole sort of other skill set in some ways. You know, it's, it's the reactions and reaction times are shorter, and the sports science has involved itself with uh, with with that as, as well as the car development itself. So. Yeah, I think um, it's certainly an exciting era for the sport. Um, and yeah, I think the, none of the drivers could be accused of being uh, <laughs> not up to task. No, absolutely. What's, absolutely. Your, what's your thoughts on the future, Seb? Because we know certainly uh, in 2022, we're looking at hybrid. Um, we've already, as we talked about last week on the show, seen that Malcolm is mentioning a million euros for a car. So what's your thoughts and what is the right approach for the world rally championship with the next generation of cars yeah i think um obviously i heard the show last week where where we were discussing about malcolm's sort of headline figure of a million euros and and i think you know what what you guys were saying was exactly right um clearly you know the, the way that the motor industry is uh, advancing uh, some form of electrification or hybrid system is is necessary to kind of a keep and be attracting new manufacturers but obviously the, the primary concern is making it sustainable and um a million euro car is is in no way sustainable really is it um i think if that means you've got to perhaps cut the ultimate performance then you know maybe maybe that's 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 the avenue to go down whether that's with some form of r5 plus or whatever i'm i'm not sure but i think the interesting thing i i felt as well is you can watch watch some onboards and okay you see the, the the wrc car driving through and it's incredibly impressive then it, it jumps to r5 and you know clearly it's it is you know not going at the same pace but but if you if that was your you know the only thing you had a reference point for well you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be complaining really would you um you know we still look back and think oh you know the, when i started getting into the sport you know late 90s early noughties 
you know, that they were still spectacular to watch because it was still the best drivers in, you know, the, in those cars. And, and I think the, the kind of the pursuit for all out speed is, is not necessarily, you know, a, a, you know, a big, a big important point, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think we do need some form of new emerging technology, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it has necessarily has to be with just a bolt on to the current cars. No, do you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm with you because I do have, I, I genuinely have a fear for if we do get to that. And, you know, we did discuss it last week. And, and if we do get to that level, then, you know, you only have to look at, I think we're, we're almost behind the, behind the curve a little bit now with rally. And I think we've had this massive spike, which Ryan and I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, about Citroen going. It, 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 there seems to be a hole in the results. And I know they only have a two car team. Uh, with Citroen going, it just going down to three, uh, troubles me. And, you know, with uh, hybrid technology, and you only have to look at Formula E, which has got massive people knocking it, I know, but it just seems to have a new manufacturer turning up every season now. And, you know, mm-hmm. our budget's going to go there as opposed to Rally, because we all know Rally is a tough sell. That's, that's just my thoughts on it. That's just my thoughts on it. But anyway, listen, Seb, I wasn't getting you on for that, to be perfectly honest with you, but it's always good to get a professional's p- opinion on it. Um, so you're getting ready to, to, to fly off to Belgium? Yes, yeah, uh, heading over there later on in the week. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a rally that okay, I've seen, seen little video clips in the past, but I don't know a great deal about. So it'd be nice to discover something a bit different. And but believe it or not, I've, it'll be my first time in a rear-wheel drive car. So uh, I'm wow. picking that box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wow. hilarious. Just, just take a cloth with you just to make sure you can clean your side window because that's probably going to be the window that Chris looks out of. I was going to say, I'm sure he'll be, uh, he'll be wanting to, to use them to full effect. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Seb, uh, we know you're traveling and we do appreciate your time. So thank you for uh, giving us that little bit of time while you're in a very unglamorous motorway service station. Which one are you in, Seb? Uh, I'm at near Donington, Donington Park, actually. So uh, it's okay, maybe that's quite a, nice a, one. a slight, yeah, not, not bad on the fever scale as well, is it? There's just a, a rally stage just over the hill. So. There you go. There you go. You, 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 it's, all, it's all there, isn't it? It's all there. Listen, Seb, you have, uh, you have a safe journey on your travels now and obviously over to Belgium later on. And we'll get you back, mate, in a couple of months' time. And uh, hopefully by then we'll have some news. And, um, yeah, maybe a new pair of shiny overalls. Who knows? Cool. Thanks very much, guys. Happy days. Yeah. Seb Marshall, thanks Cheers, for joining us. Absolute Rally. We'll be back after this break. This is Absolute Rally. Whether it's the pressures of service or an issue out on the stages, it's vital to have the right equipment to hand. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for the world of motorsport and are being used throughout all forms of competition. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. And welcome back to the final section of Absolute Rally. Thanks to Seb Marshall, Trevor Agnew, John Armstrong... Um, Ryan Champion and yeah, God, I'll, sorry, Kill, sorry, Killian, Killian Duffy's with us. Sorry from 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 on the pace note. Hello, Killian. Sorry, I'm going for me. Well, I've just realised how Irish potentially this podcast is without really realising it. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that myself. We were <laughs> listening out the names, and then and then I realised that we were very we're very co-driver happy towards the end of it, and it was very driver happy at the top of it. So there you go, things you don't plan, things you don't plan, Killian. Equal balance. Absolutely. Listen, uh, it's good to have you back, mate. How how are things your end? 
Oh, great, great. Things are great. Um, Irish Rallying just started there at the weekend. They're at Donegal many stages. And this come weekend, of course, is the start of the Tarmac Championship and uh, Galway. It's it's one that's obviously whetted the appetites of so many people. I think, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think last year, my my opinion as a bit of an armchair fan is somebody that's kind of, you know, always, always cast a, an eye at it over the years. Obviously, seems to have a bit of focus on it with Craig coming back to it next year and, and you know, it's it seems to have um, you know the, the there's there's a very very strong entry again, isn't it? Plenty of R5 cars, plenty of new R5 cars as well, and uh, of course Gary Jennings wheeling out the the, the trusty old WRC Subaru, but uh, nevertheless plenty of R5 cars. That's right, yeah, and lots of new combinations. Um, Gary is out in the Subaru, hasn't been out very often. Uh, realistically, the, like I did the notes there two weeks ago, and. Um, you know, the first two stages are very, very slippy, narrow, uh, quite a lot of debris on the road. So, I mean, he's not going to be able to stretch the legs of the Subaru, I don't think. I think, you know, I, I you know, my money will be on Alistair Fisher. I believe he's out in Don Buckley's polo, uh, although he's down as TBA on the entry list. Um, you know, who are we missing from last year? We're missing Craig Breed. We're missing Callum Devine. Um, they obviously are doing other things with Hyundai, Callum doing the E. ERC, um, but still, as you said, nonetheless, a great entry. Uh, the Moffats are out to Hyundai. Uh, that's a change of scene, although Josh did drive um, a Hyundai in Donegal uh, last year. Uh, Danik Kelly's out in his polo. Marion Evans is out in a polo. Uh, Cahan McCourt um, is out in his uh, usual fiesta, and he's, he's dipping his toe into the BRC as well. He's going to Cambria the following week. But Desi Henry also is an interesting one. He's out in Hyundai. Um, of course, Desi is a first cousin of um, of uh, Josh Macklin, and um, so they're uh, they're both uh, well. Obviously, Josh is doing the BRC in the Hyundai, but obviously uh, Desi has decided to go Hyundai as well. So it's 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 like if 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 I was sort of predicting, I would say Alistair Fisher is going to be extremely hard to beat. Um, particularly in them tricky conditions, he excels. Like he really put it up to Craig Green there last year. So, I mean, I can't see it being any different this year. Like Alistair is a, a fantastic driver, and I think he's going to be hard to live with. Do you think though the you know and everybody talks about this? Of course, the unique and it's it sounds cliche, but we we can't get this over enough. Really, that you know there is there is a, a an Irish setup. There's an Irish tar setup. There's nowhere else like it with regards to setup. The polo is a little bit of an unknown entity uh, as yet over there. Obviously, we have got um, you know we've got Donna Kelly, obviously potentially Alistair Fish, and obviously uh, Marion Evans, who you mentioned there, who's in the polo. Um, I don't know how much testing has gone on. I'm sure plenty of testing has gone on, but to me, it's still a bit of an unknown entity over there. It is. Um, Donna did two events last year. He did the uh, Donegal Harvest and he did the Fastnet. Um, although he he won the Fastnet, uh, you know he was against I suppose second place. Uh, no disrespect was um, uh, you know was was a, a Mark Mark II escort um, of Damien Damien Tourish. Um, the polo is an unknown quantity, but what's interesting from from the entry list, just just glancing down through it, is there's actually no uh, Skodas in the entry list uh, or five Skodas. And I suppose the interesting part of that was everyone struggled to get a setup with the Skoda here in Ireland. So when you talk about talk about unique. Um, conditions. Everyone struggled. Once the weather got wet here in Ireland, uh, everyone struggled to get a decent setup on the Skoda. But talking to Donna Kelly at the end of stage interviews, uh, he appears to be a lot more uh, happy with the polo than he was in um, in the uh, Skoda. So maybe or possibly the Skoda, uh, the, the polo is a, is a better option than the Skoda going forward. And 
you know, setup wise, it's easier for people to set up and probably easier to get the support off Volkswagen rather than Skoda. Now, um, and, and uh, another name which screams out at me, probably because of me being in my mid forties, it pains me to say it. From looking back at over the, that, that for my highlights over the years is, is is Eugene Donnelly's name popping up once again on an entry list. Supposedly, I'm hearing that it could be a full program, of course, in the in the proton. I don't know whether there's been anything more said about a full, you know, a full program for him. Obviously, on the MRF tires as well, trying to get that package working where are we where are we expecting to see eugene in the fight like eugene is 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 um very experienced driver so okay Galway is one day it's not your traditional tarmac event of two days and um, i don't expect a lot of of retirements i would say if eugene's about ninth or tenth overall that's sort of where i would say he'd be aiming to be finishing uh you know the proton i think he's he's gone a long way with the with the setup of it and um, but again it's, it's you know, gravel, Ollie Miller seems to get better results on gravel than it does on tarmac. So it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how the car performs in, um, in Galway. I think there's, there's potentially another another proton going into Ireland as well. So be interested to see where that one pops up. But um, uh, I'm going to put you completely and utterly on the spot at this point, Killian. Uh, event one, who would you put your little wager on? I'd have to say Alistair Fisher. Is that for the championship as well? Oh, for the championship, yeah. He, he, like Alistair, I think he's always just been nearly there and, 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 and just never between offs and, and stuff like that. But I think his head, he's a lot more level-headed than, than he used to be and more calculated. So uh, I'd have to say Alistair Fisher would be hard to look past him for the the rally this this Sunday and also the championship. Uh, like then the positions afterwards. Like Murian has shown shown some great speed. Cahan McCourt, you know, he's done a lot of gravel, tricky conditions. Like he's set some fantastic times last year as well. Um, he, you know, after doing a year in the in the R five, uh, Desi Henry's learned the car. Don't know will he be in the top three? I would say. I just guessing a top three, uh, like purely guessing. I would say Alistair Fisher. I'd say Josh Moffat and possibly Marion Evans for the top three. He's got a very, very good co-driver, Marion Evans. I taught him everything you in the year he sat with me in 2013. Jonathan Jackson. There you go, JJ. Yes, that's right. JJ, yes, I know yes, you're yes. listening, JJ. There you go. I'm going to put my <laughs> money on you, boys. There you go. Go yes. and have it. Go and have it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there you go. Are you guys, obviously, you, you've you've had a fantastic time over the last you know c- couple of years doing the, the stage end stuff. Is that... I'd like to think you're going to keep doing that. Yeah, I'm really enjoying doing it. Um, it, it, it was chuffed this year. I, I linked up with um, with Skoda Ireland and Valley British Motors there, so I have a nice Skoda Kodiak for for the year. And uh, along with other sponsors, um, we make it work. So we're going to be live this Sunday. So if anyone wants to tune it in, it's on the Pace Note uh, Facebook page, and just set your notifications, and you'll get a little uh, ping whenever we go live. And we'll be covering every stage end and also park firm in the morning. So uh, our viewership was four million last year, and wow. um, even last even last Saturday morning in Donegal, we had uh, over five hundred and eighty people live just in Park Fermi at like nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. So like we're good more than yourself. It's it's very satisfying when you're when you're doing the work to see the the downloads and the views and 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 and, and particularly because. 
and more than yourself, I really enjoy doing it. Uh, and when you see people, you know, tuning in from all over the world, I, I just, I just love it. It's not like work. Um, and then you're, you know, you're getting the atmosphere, you're getting the vibe off the drivers. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to this Sunday now doing the end of stages. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to put you again on the spot, not with regards to results, though, Killian, quite the opposite. Obviously, we have listeners all over the world, as you just mentioned, people tuning in all over the world. If you were to pick one of the rounds of this year's Irish Tarmac Series, who, which one would you be recommending people go to? What's the one where, to use to use the term without being cliched, where's the best crack at for this year? Uh, I would say um, Donegal. Um, Donegal is sort of, it's like a festival atmosphere. Um, there's all this great hype about the event. It's three days. Um, you know, Ken Block came over and did it. And was so so impressed with it. Uh, great atmosphere. So, like, I'd, I'd find it hard to look past um, Donegal. Uh, stage-wise, you know, Killarney, West Cork are, are on equal terms. But I think for the atmosphere side of things and the party atmosphere, it depends on what you want from the rally. But you know, an all-round bet is, is Donegal. I have to say. Fantastic. Well, we're going to be catching up with Killian uh, before all the events and probably after them at some point as well. So Killian's going to be with us throughout the year um, because we can't have Craig and then not have Killian because I think that's probably <laughs> what happened. I think I think Killian aired Craig on last week and thought, oh, I've got to be on. So, um, that's it. <laughs> there's no show. There's no show without punches. I used to say. There you go. There That's you go. It. That's Listen, it. Thanks, Tony. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. As I say, we will catch up with you throughout the season on the Irish Tarmac series, folks. Um, that is the end of this week's podcast. It's gone on probably a little bit longer than what I planned. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. If, if you do, please share the love. Please spread it around. If you can hit the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you, you download the podcast, that would be really, really fantastic. And uh, yeah, um, five star reviews do make a difference for our show sponsors so uh, we'll be back same time same place in your little podcast hole next week Absolute Rally powered by the Keel the Works team spread the word and download the podcast every week